Well, uh, today we are closing our series on Galatians. And just read it for me. What does it say? Yeah, all different speeds there. That was good. So we got a variety of the body of Christ right there and how we read. Yeah, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, this does not stop because the series ends. Do you get that? This does not stop because the series ends. In our Christmas series, am I allowed to unveil kind of what that is a little bit? Okay. It's called Expecting the Unexpected, and we're going to look at some stories that we're used to seeing and pull out some unique things that speak to that, expect the unexpected, all with the understanding that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So this, what we've been doing, doesn't stop. It carries into what we want to continue to do in Christ Jesus. Make sense? We always want our series, the things that we speak on, to have a flow to them that continue and continue and continue because this is the most important thing for us to ever know. Okay, and so we've been in the book of Galatians. And let me just recap um, kind of what we see in Galatians. And, and we try to do this every week. You've got Paul writing a letter to the church in Galatia. And these are our um, new Christians that are being influenced by Jewish Christians to uh, be subject to the law that Jesus has freed them from. Because Scripture says Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So if we live in Jesus, everything we do, that is, everything we do is a byproduct of who he is in our lives. So the law is fulfilled. Does that make sense? And so circumcision is the big thing here. It is something the law requires you to do. And so these new Christians are being influenced by Jewish Christians to be circumcised. And so Paul, he says through the entire letter how irritated he is about this. Because he repeats himself over and over and over again. Have you, have you noticed that? And also, before we continue, if you have your Bibles, get those out. And you can look in your bulletin and you've got the passage down there. But Paul is so adamant, so passionate about these people being free in Christ Jesus and not subject to the law anymore. And so he's so passionate about it. And you see that throughout this entire letter. We've been talking about it every week. There are so many things that we, we allow ourselves to be slaves to in everyday life. One of the biggest ones is busyness. Right? We feel like we've got to be busy all the time, and then we're trying to make room for Jesus. Yikes. Right? That's not healthy, is it? No, because if Jesus is truly everything, then he needs to be everything. Which means busyness can't be an excuse. Other things can't be an excuse. We have to step into freedom, and that's what Paul's saying. Well, he closes out his letter uh, in chapter 6. And we're going to look, so if, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 through the end. And we're going to walk through this a little bit because... Uh, Paul's, Paul's endings to his letters have a purpose. And here he wraps some things up, but he says some poignant things that we want to pull out this morning. So starting with verse 11, Paul says this, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. We're going to stop there, actually. When you hear that, what do you think? After my little spiel on how irritated he gets. What? It could be sarcastic, right? Sounds like it might be sarcastic. Emphasis, right? 
in our, in our culture, we would probably read that as sarc- sarcasm, wouldn't we? See what large letters I use? You're all morons. I got to write in crayon with the R reversed for you to get this, right? I wish that's what he meant, <laughs> because it would be funny, right? But really what he's saying here is that Paul, um, scholars believe, it, and he mentioned this a little bit in the scripture, that he had such terrible eyesight that he would usually need scribes to write his letters. And so what he's saying is he's so passionate about this message that he's taking over the writing duties and he's the one, even though he can't see, that is writing this to them. He wants them to know, this is me. I am going through my challenges of not being able to see this so that you know how intentional I'm trying to be. I'm going to write this to you so that you know my heart. So he's got to use big letters. So you can see them. Does that make sense? Verse 12, continuing, he says, Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want to be, they want to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So in verse 12, we have those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. And the next few verses focus on this. Is Paul is saying these people are just, they're hoity-toity. You know, they're, they're trying to impress people. They're trying to flex their muscles of influence and feel good about themselves. So they're not even using the law for holy purposes. They're using it for their own purposes. And Paul is warning them, saying that these people are trying to do this to get you a part of their little club so that people will think good of them. It's always fun when you have a cause and you recruit people. Has anyone ever experienced that? And then people are passionate about what you're passionate about, and you can brag about it. Right? I got these people following me. I got these people believing in this. And that's what Paul's saying, this attitude. And all about circumcision. These people were afraid because Christians, true followers of Jesus, were being persecuted. And Paul knows all about persecution because he's the one that was doing it for so long. And so these people are terrified. So if they live to the law, if they compromise their relationship with Jesus and live to the law, they'll be safe, supposedly. They'll avoid the kind of persecution that Christians were getting, that clearly Paul states has come his way because he bears it on his flesh. And then he says something so poignant. He says, I've been crucified to all of this stuff, meaning all this stuff that you want, this, this desire to be known, this desire to be considered um, great for bringing people in to up your status. 
Through the, through the cross of Christ, I've been crucified to all that stuff. And what he's saying is like, I have no interest in that. There's nothing this world has to offer me. Jesus is all I need. Right here. That's his statement. Jesus is all I need. I don't need status. I don't need any of this stuff. All I need, all I want, which is even cooler than need, all I want is Jesus. That's all he wants. And he's not afraid to be persecuted for it. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because he knows what, he, what, what happens in persecution because he's delivered it. And I'm thinking, if I'm a person that is delivering that kind of violence, and Paul states this in his other letters, that it was violent. He was a man of violence. That's how he labels himself before Christ. I'd be a little afraid if it was coming my way. Because I know the ins and outs of it. Would that, I mean, would that scare anyone else other than me, right? But he's not because he understands the power and the freedom that comes in Christ Jesus. Because he says they're focused on the law stuff when really it's all about being a new creation. And the one thing I love about Paul is he has every reason, every reason to struggle in his relationship with Christ because of his background, because of his history. I mean, I was a jerk growing up in a lot of ways, and I feel bad about that. And I didn't kill anybody. I didn't persecute anyone in the sense that Paul did. So I can't imagine what his therapy, his therapy bills would be like. Probably off the hook, right? That's a lot of baggage. But one thing I love about Paul, and for those of you that were at Bird of Word last night, we kind of stated this, is that he may not deserve it, He definitely didn't earn it. He'll take it. And he does. And he runs with it. And that's why he has courage in the midst of persecution, because he is a new creation. This is a man that has firsthand experience, some of the best firsthand experience of what it means to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Because you have two extremes. You have this guy that was brutalizing Christians who is now leading them was now going out to all the world and living, living the Great Commission. And this is why it's so important to Paul, because he sees that only the love of Christ can redeem someone like he was and transform him into the person he is today. Wouldn't you be passionate about that? Man, and we should be, because sin is sin. There's not a huge ranking order in that. Sin is sin. It separates us from the love of God. It takes us out of it, right? I mean, it's something that, that saying, God, I don't want you in this moment. I'd rather have what I want. So it doesn't matter because if it, if it takes you out of position with Jesus, it takes you out of position with Jesus no matter what the sin is. And so no matter what it is, this message is for us because we are a new creation and we should be just as passionate about the, the redeeming powers of Jesus Christ that Paul is. And we shouldn't boast in anything else other than Christ Jesus. We shouldn't. And now that's really hard. Um, about a year and a half ago, I met with an a individual who's a leader in, in an on-campus kind of ministry. And met him for lunch and brought a couple of guys with me. And, and we were talking with him, trying to get information on this ministry. And, you know, I was trying to plug in here and, and, and get my feet wet and figure out what's going on and so I'm talking with this guy, and he was very legalistic, okay, very like, 
kind of law-oriented. And then he kept bragging about how many people he led to Jesus. Like it was a notch on his belt. And never giving glory to God. Never talking about the transformational power that happens, but more so that he brought people into his movement kind of mentality. Have you met Christians like that? We get it wrong sometimes. And this is not to brutalize this person, but it's to say it's a perfect example of what we're talking about. We can be well-intentioned, but we can get lost in the allure of what happens when a life is changed and to think that we're the ones that did it. It's easy to do that. And it's easy to give credit to a person than God. So I can say, man, this person changed my life. And now I love Jesus even more. Well, no, Jesus changed my life. He used this person. That's great. But if Jesus didn't call that person to come to me, I wouldn't know him. So I was sitting at this table with this guy, and he just keeps saying these things and and preaching at me. So I'm like shutting down. I mean, I'm a preacher. So it's like, you know, and I got preached at my whole entire life, right? You know, anytime I got corrected in my house, it was a sermon. It wasn't like, don't do that. It was like the ABCs, why you don't do that. Context, historical context, everything. So when someone gets on his high horse, that doesn't need to be, right? This is a conversation. We're trying to talk about what Jesus wants to do in the communities that we're in, and he's more concerned about talking about his accomplishments or the things he thinks are his accomplishments. And we just wanted to talk about what Jesus is doing. So I shut down. I stopped listening, and... My face was down at the table, and I tried to make the occasional eye contact, you know. I probably didn't handle it really well. I don't have a poker face. And he's looking at me, and he goes, you're not going to do any of the stuff that I told you, are you? I said, nope, probably not. (laughs) Because it was this mentality that Paul's talking about. We can get lost in the, the, the cultural understandings of Christianity today instead of going to the source. Instead of being at the feet of Jesus. Instead of fully yielding to who he is and saying, I don't need this other stuff. Now, I'm not saying that the things the church does is bad. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we can get lost in those kind of things and think that those kind of things, the etiquette that we, you know, I I wonder if some people freaked out seeing Matt with a hat on. You know, just little things like that. I don't know. And I'm not judging if you, you know, because we have upbringings like that. I, it still rubs me the wrong way because I was always corrected not to wear a hat. And so I was taught that way. And sometimes I say, I'm like, you're wearing a hat. But that's, it's, that doesn't matter. Because that doesn't bring people into the kingdom. Jesus is the only one that does that. And this is, this is Paul's desire. This is his mission. The world doesn't have anything for him because he has all he needs in Jesus Christ. Can we say that? It's just a challenge for you. I'm, I'm looking at my own life right now. Can I say the only thing that, that matters to me? Now, it doesn't mean like family doesn't matter. They matter to me because he matters to me. But it's a matter of like who's, who's setting my priority list. Is he the one that's setting that? Because he shouldn't be on it, by the way. I'm a big believer of this. People, I, I've, I've done a study on this. I, re, I remember in college, and I was asking people this, and I was going around asking Christians. I was saying, give me your top three, top three things you value most as far as priorities. What are your, your top three? 
and, and God was, and these are Christians, and these are, these are Christians that I did ministry with, and God was always second or third. Maybe sometimes number one, but second or third. He shouldn't even be on it, because he should be setting it. If that's true, then shouldn't he be the one that's, that's leading us through and setting our priorities? When people say, Brendan, what's your number, prior, number one priority? I say, my family. It's the first thing I say. My family. And some people look at me and they go, well, not Jesus. What, what do you mean? Because Jesus leads my life. So he's setting the priority list. Does that make sense? And that's Paul's point. It's like you're trying to do all these things to gain something and, and put them in this order and do all this because you're afraid of what it means if Jesus leads you. Because when Jesus leads us, he leads us into the unknown for us, right? And that's uncomfortable. I tell you, the Lord has allowed me to be in so many situations that have humiliated me that I don't care about knowing things in advance anymore. Because the more I try to control that, the more I look dumb. <laughs> and it's true. And if you've heard some of my stories in the past, you know it's true. I mean, humiliation galore is like probably my M.O. for my life. Because of learning this understanding that Jesus is everything. He's everything. There's nothing I need to add to him. I don't need to defend him either. He's everything. So can we say that? I mean, that needs to be our goal. What do we need to surrender? What do we need to lay down? What are the things we need to be courageous enough to give up? What agendas? What desires? Because we're, as Paul said, we are to be crucified to those things of the world. And that's really hard. I have a lot of desires that are probably not godly desires. They're probably not the things he wants for me. And it's a struggle to lay those down. But that's why we do that together. That's why uh, we've got to create, continue to create a safe place here at Bridgewood so that we can together confess those things and lay those things down. Does that make sense? I mean, Paul even states that, that it's important that we focus on the things within the body of Christ, the believers that we get this stuff worked out, that that is true in our lives so that we can go and preach that in spirit and truth. Make sense? And lastly, and I, lo I love this, because Paul, remember, at the beginning of the letter, he's responding to people that are questioning who he is in Christ as an apostle. Does he have any say in any of this stuff? Is he legitimate? So Paul lays out this entire letter that we've gone through. In these last few verses, he states, it's about being a new creation in Jesus Christ. It's about being free in him. It's all about Jesus. And he says this. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And the message says it, uh, the translation of the message says it in a way I like. Quite frankly, I don't want to be bothered anymore by these disputes. I have far more important things to do, the serious living of this faith. I bear in my body the scars from my service to Jesus. He says, stop bothering me. Stop questioning whether or not I'm a true follower of Jesus Christ because my body bears it. I'm not afraid of the persecution that comes my way because Jesus is everything to me. And I'm going to stand in spirit and truth and preach the gospel. And live the gospel. 
So don't question me anymore. That's pretty bold, don't you think? (laughs) I mean, it's extremely bold. And I love that about him because it needs to be said. It needs to be said. You're spending all this time questioning not whether I'm an authentic believer in Jesus, and he's right in front of you, and you're missing him because you're afraid to engage him. I said last week, um, when you so graciously welcomed me into this new call that, that is, is coming our way in February, that the greatest thing for us as Bridgewood that we can do is engage Jesus. You don't do that, who cares? Do all the wonderful things you want in your own name, but it's not going to accomplish the things we want to accomplish. It will not bring in the name of Jesus in a way that allows people to be a new creation within him, because then it's all about task. Then it's all about the law again. If we do not engage, let me say it again. If we do not engage, we're in trouble. Is that pretty clear? Am I making that clear? Do I need to say it again? If we do not engage, we, as the body of Christ, are in trouble. I loved last night because we had, I, I came in and I panicked. I came in at 2.30 and I panicked because I thought I got the times wrong and I was late because the parking lot was full. And I went, oh my gosh, it's 2.30. I thought it was not supposed to start till 5 or 4. I still got it wrong and I was there. 4. But we had so many volunteers last night. Some people didn't have anything to do. And then they went off and they just made relationship. That is what it means to what? Yes. I love that. My hope is that becomes consistent living in Bridgewood. When people, I was, I was asked a few times in this whole process, you know, when people, Brendan, when people look at Bridgewood, what do you want them to see? And it's simply this, a people that are not afraid to engage Jesus. That's what I would like to see. Because if we engage him, everything else, discipleship, prayer, all those things are a byproduct of us engaging Jesus. Pretty simple, isn't it? Engage him, and then we will bear fruit. As Paul says, you don't engage him, you won't bear fruit. You will not bear the fruit that lasts eternity that is transformational, that speaks new life. Can't do it unless we engage him. Amen? Does that make sense? I want to leave you with this story. Um, And I told it about, well, actually, when I first got here. So I'm going to give you the short version. God put me in someone's life that I didn't want to be a part of. And it was a guy who was a, um, he was a skinhead, put people in the hospital. That's what he did. Um, he was extremely brilliant. He had a C.S. Lewis kind of mind. And he was an atheist to the core. And um, he was appalled at Christians because they lived to this law, and in his view, and were not compassionate we're not loving. We're not anything they said. And I was like, well, dude, that's a lot coming from a guy that puts people in the hospital. You're talking about compassion and loving. <laughs> Good grief. And um, he was a friend of my brother's, and he would come to the house all the time, and I hated seeing him. Like When I saw him, I'd peace out. 
I'm out of the house. I don't want to engage him. I don't want to look at him. I don't want to listen to him. And I definitely don't want to talk to him. I don't want to be in the same room as him. Anyone met someone like that? I mean, not all of us want to admit to loathing a person that much, but it's true, right? And so I, I remember um, being in that room, and he came up to me, and he was getting a little bit nicer each time he came over. And my brother has this really wonderful ability about seeing the lost and bringing them into family. That's his gift. And um, so all the people he brought in were people I didn't like. <laughs> And because um, I was one of those guys, I was one of those guys Paul was talking about, hey, come follow me and then I'll brag about it. Like that was kind of my thing. I wanted to be in the popular crowds. I want to be in the people that were accepted. I didn't want to be persecuted. And my brother brought in all this, these guys that weren't accepted. And I'm like, that's not going to help me. And so I remember he came, he started coming to youth group and stuff. And I'm like, oh, and what are you doing here? Now you're in my space. Like you're in my space at home. You're in my space at church. I can't impress people when you're around because I don't like you. And he, and he said to me one day, he goes, and this is a big guy. He was 6'2", 500 pounds. Big guy, scary guy, shaved head, you know, all that stuff. And he comes up to me, and he's just looking down at me. And, you know, I'm trying to be tough. I'm like, what? I hit just like this because my hands are sweating and I don't want him to see that. I'm... And he says, I need to ask you a question. I said, okay, what's your question? And, he, and I'm brooding at him because he's brooding at me. That's the only face he has. He says to me, he goes, would you meet with me once a week? I said, no. <laughs> and then I was like, I felt bad. And I said, why, would you, why do you want to meet? Well, because I'd like to talk to you about faith. And I know this guy's argumentative. It's what he does. And I'm like, oh, you know, there's some people that are always right no matter what they say. And I don't like talking to people like that. You know, I mean, who does? Because it's not conversation, right? It's just a platform. So anyways, long and short is that we started meeting once a week and having these conversations where my head was hurting. And because he's so smart. And I was going to Fuller Theological Seminary at the time, and he asked me, he says, hey, can I go to class with you one day? He's not a Christian. I said, yeah, that's a two-hour drive for me. <laughs> so I've got to be in the car with him for two hours. Four hours. Ride back. So he goes to this class, and he's, like, drinking this in. And this is a class I snooze in because I don't know the language. It's, like, so scholarly. It's just out of my pay grade. And so... He's, he's drinking it in, and we come back, and he liked it and all that stuff. And then we meet again, and I remember we were at the salad bar place in San Diego, and we're eating, and he looks at me, and I just got to a point where now I can tolerate him. And he says, he goes, when are you going to ask me? He just yells it out. When am I going to ask you what? You want my food? What do you, <laughs> what do you want? He says, when are you going to ask me if I want to follow Jesus? I like started crying. And it wasn't because I was overjoyed. It's because I felt ashamed because I never asked. And I said, you know, trying to be quick on my feet. I said, well, right now, then what do you think we're out to lunch for? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you, right? And uh, I said, do you? And I walked him through it. I said, do you want to, do you believe in Jesus? He goes, you know, I truly do. 
And I said, why? And he goes, well, it's not because of the rules. It's not because of the, the holy stuff, but it's because God, only Jesus, can make me new. And I want to be new. Only he can make me new. The church and its rules can't make me new. But Jesus can make me new. And this guy is now going to, is, is going to school to be a professor in theology. It wasn't about the law, it was about Jesus, and now he's living according to the law of Christ, what, what Jesus is doing in his life. And so healthy living is now a byproduct of his healthy relationship with Jesus. Those are the people God said, Paul's after. He's trying to show these people that were so against it, they're so afraid of it, that this is what it's about. And this is a guy I never thought was going to come to Jesus, Ever. And now I'm finding some people that are like on the, the fence about it that are the hardest to get them on the other side because they've been riding the fence along. This guy wanted to be new and new. He just he wanted this life that he was living over with. And the only one, the only one that can do that is Christ Jesus. The only one. That is Galatians. That is Galatians. And as we go into this Christmas experience and as we go into the new year this has got to be at the forefront of our minds every day for the rest of our life only jesus can make you new only jesus can make those people new who don't know him who need to know him and the only way that that's ever going to happen is if you and i engage him only way it's going to get done amen let's pray Lord, we thank you and we praise you because you make us new. You free us. I pray that we would engage you in such a way that we would learn to not just accept that freedom, that gift of you, but learn to live in it, thrive in it. God, you know where we're at. You know our hearts. And so I just pray, Jesus, that you would um, intervene in any way you need to. We give you permission to intervene in any way that you need to, to get us to engage with you, Jesus. We want to engage you so that you can have your way, so that you can continue to transform us with ever-increasing glory and continue to transform this community for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your name. So we honor you, Lord. We glorify you. And I pray that as we continue in this time of worship, that we would let loose, that we would experience your joy, your love, your grace, your healing, your redemption. Lord, we thank you that we can consider ourselves a new creation. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.